Good morning and welcome to Hope Church Online. My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church. And we are so excited that you are tuning in again today. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to bring hope into your home. Hey, if you're excited, we're coming out of phase one, going into phase two this past weekend. If you're excited, tell your neighbor in the comments, get ready, get ready, get ready. You're about to bounce back. We're having a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. We're about to bounce back. Come on, you're about to get back up again. We're coming out of this isolation. We're coming out of this crisis stronger than ever. Are you excited, people of hope? Light up the comments. Give us some bouncing balls. Give us some bouncing kangaroos, some bounce back tigers, whatever you want to do this morning. We're bouncing back in Jesus' name. You know, up until this weekend, our leaders have shut down business, they've shut down schools, and pretty much any kind of public meeting place. And a lot of people are being misplaced and even displaced in society and at work. And you may be concerned, you might be frustrated, and you may be upset, but I want you to know that God is very, very good at recovery. The Bible says, we shall lay hands on the sick, and recovery will happen. They shall recover. The Bible says that Elisha, when, they, when he died, they threw him in a tomb. And that same year, there was a Moabite war going on, and the, the raiders were fighting in that area. One of them died in battle. They threw him into this cave. They didn't have time to bury him properly. They just threw him in the same cave where they buried Elisha. The Bible said this dead corpse rolled down on top of the bones of Elisha, and there was enough anointing in the bones of Elisha for this dead man to recover all, to revive, to recover, to come back out of the tomb and continue to fight with the Moabite army. God is a God of recovery. He's a God of resurrection power. He's a God who has bounced back in his being. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about going through loss without losing. That's right. You can go through loss without losing. And last week we saw David. He lost a child and his response was to weep, to wash, and to worship. And we say David's honest expression. We saw his honest expression of grief turned around his grief for good. We call that good grief, right? That talk was called good grief. I encourage you, go back, check it out on YouTube if you haven't heard it and catch up for today. David had a grief over a loss, which is not good, but he turned it for good, becoming good grief. We said there is such a thing as good grief. Just ask Charlie Brown, right? Good grief, Charlie Brown. Well, today we're going to look at another story of David's in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. It says, Now it happened when David and his men came back to Ziklag, the Amalekites had invaded the south and attacked Ziklag. They burned that city with fire, taking captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to that city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept. That's the same thing he did last time he experienced loss. He wept until they had no more power to weep. Honest weeping. Imagine this. Mighty men, mighty warriors so devastated that they are on the ground in defeat. They're all crying, ready to quit because they lost their homes, their possessions, their wives, and their children. This is a bad beatdown in the life of David and his warriors. 
prayers. And in verse 6 it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people, his own people, spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the warriors was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters and their homes. So watch this. All the men who have lost their homes, who have lost their wives, who have lost their loved ones, they're all grieving. They're hurting people. And we know that hurting people hurt people. And isn't it interesting? The first thing they want to do is they want to stone the leader. I know when there's loss, hurting people get hurt, people get hurt, and man, they just want to hurt people, blame somebody. And how many of you know that stoning David, stoning the leader, isn't going to bring your house back? Stoning David isn't going to bring your wives or your children back. Stoning David in this crisis isn't going to bring your business or your job back. But they were just so angry, frustrated, and hurt by this devastating crisis. They were so disturbed by the fact that they have lost everything. You know, we live in a season right now where it's very easy to cast blame. It's very easy to throw stones at leadership. But you know what? Throwing stones and laying blame doesn't help you. It doesn't help you get anywhere or anything back. It just leaves you frustrated with more and more loss. That helpless feeling, feeling like I can't make a difference. But here it is. David David bounces back. This is awesome. David bounces back. David strengthened himself in his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Then David said to Abathar, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop God? Shall I overtake them? Do I have a bounce back? And he answered him. God answered David, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. That's what we're calling this message today. Recover all. So David got up and went and he and 600 men who were with him David gets one word from God he gets up he gets over and he gets on with his assignment singing last night I took an L but tonight I bounce back come on now last night I fell apart last night we had a loss but today I bounce back so 400 of David's men go with him across the brook called Bezer and they cross the brook and they find an Egyptian servant, an Egyptian slave. This slave has been abandoned by his master, lying in a field, pretty much dead. So they came to him, they brought him some cakes and some bread and some oats and some raisins and they brought him fruit and fresh water and juice. And as his strength came back to him, they said, who are you? Why are you laying in this field? He said, well, I was a slave of one of the Amalekites. And that owner of me, when I became sick, he just left me to die and abandoned me here in this field. And David said, do you know where they've gone? We're looking for the Amalekites. He said, yes, I know where they've gone. He said, will you take us down there, please? The Egyptian servant said, listen, if I take you down to that, their camp, they're going to kill me. They're going to destroy me. Promise me that you won't let them kill me. David says, I promise you with an oath, I will protect you. You will be like one of my very own men. So the Egyptian slave showed them where they were. And while they went down to the Amalekite camp, camp they snuck up on their enemies and they went after them. They fought them for a whole day and they had the element of surprise. They brought such a beating to the Amalekites, not only to get their wives back, their children back, all their possessions back, but that day they brought in a great plot 
plunder all the silver, all the gold, all the jewels of the people of the Amalekites. It was an incredible victory. It was an incredible day. And so what began in the morning with loss and weeping ended up in the afternoon and that next day with gain and rejoicing. What started with weeping and loss ended with gain and rejoicing. Maybe you're looking at the past 10, 11 weeks of no income, economic loss. You've had to shut down parts of your company, parts of your business. Maybe you've had to be part of letting people go. Or there's paychecks that haven't been turning up at your job. And you're wondering, oh my gosh, how is my 2020 going to look? I want you to know today, our God is the God of recovery. Some of you can't even remember what you lost. It feels like so long ago, you can't remember what's been stolen from you. It's been so long that you've lived in your loss. You don't know where to bounce back to. But I'm here to remind you today that you can and you will recover all. Come on, put it in the comments. I will recover all. I'm here to remind you who you were before you went through that abuse, who you were before that incident happened to you, before the loneliness, before the tragedy, before this crisis. I'm here to remind you that you can recover all. Your God is a restorer. Your God is a redeemer. You will regain in Jesus' name because he can give you beauty for the ashes of what you lost. Your home might feel like, like it's in ashes. Your home might feel like it's in ruins. But come on, he's giving you beauty for those ashes. You're going to have to learn inside how to get up and strengthen yourself in the Lord. You're going to have to learn how to get bounce back in your spirit. We need to realize that failure is not final this morning. Defeat is not your permanent destination this morning. You have the best in front of you in Jesus' name. So verse 19 ends this story by saying, so nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. I don't care how bad things have been up to this point. This is a new day. And where the enemy thought that that thing would have wiped you out, that thing would have kept you on the ground, where that thing would have destroyed you and burned you so bad, where the enemy thought that that thing would have divided your people and resulted in your death, he was wrong this morning. He didn't realize that a bounce back spirit lives on the inside of you as people of hope, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Come on, he lives in you. And that's why you're going to recover all in Jesus' name. Comment like you believe it this morning. One more time. I will recover all. I will bounce back in Jesus' name. So just let me give you a few thoughts, three thoughts from today's story with David. The first thing that David did while the men were looking to lay blame, David, who was the leader, he took responsibility. What do leaders of hope, what do leader, people of hope do? They take responsibility. Blaming is a language of a victim. David decided, I can't be the victim in this crisis. If I'm going to be the victor, victors take responsibility. So the first thing that David did is he went and he drew near to God. The Bible says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. 
Nobody else was strengthening him. It seemed like everything was against him. It seemed like everything was against his business. Nothing was going his way. So what did he have to do? He had to strengthen himself. He strengthened self, but not just strengthened self in himself. He strengthened himself in a solution-filled Savior. That's what I love about Jesus. He didn't come to point out the problems and tell everybody how bad the world is or how bad they were. No, 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 no. The law did that. The law pointed out all the problems. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus came as a solution to the problem, as a solution to the sickness, as a solution to the sin, as a solution to the suffering. He was never the victim. Nobody took his life from him. He gave his life a ransom for many, a solution to the problems of the world. So point number one today, the first thing that David did was seek and strengthen himself in a solution-filled Savior. He sought God and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He sought God and strengthened himself in the solution-filled Savior. That's what Jesus did. That's what David did. They turned to God, not to self. And they turned to God for a solution. Because they're not the victim, they're the victors. Jesus was always the victor. David's the leader taking responsibility and saying, this crisis will not crush me. I am not a victim of someone else's activity. I will come out stronger. He said, I'm a victor in Jesus' name. He said, I'm not here to whine. I'm not here to complain, but to be strengthened. So what do I have to do when nobody else is strengthening me? i got to strengthen myself in a solution-filled Savior. So he just lost his wives and his children. His men want to kill him. He's in a crisis, and he's strengthening himself. He's strengthening himself in the Lord. He turns to God. Everyone turns to something when they're in a crisis. Everyone turns to something. Some people turn to self. Some people turn to substances. Some people turn to shows and escape plans. Everyone turns to something. We know that Samson turned to what took away his strength. He turned to sensuality. He turned to pleasure. With Delilah, he found himself in a crisis, and it ended up costing him his vision and costing him his strength. Sadly, when people feel pressure, when people face crises, they just turn to things that take away their strength. I'm telling you, some things don't add strength to your life. But David, he turned to the source. He turned to the Lord. He turned to the source of his strength. David turned to God. This is the time to turn to God, not to turn from God, not to run from God. Go to God. I'm encouraging you. You may be saying, well, I'm too sinful. I'm not holy. I'm just not a good person. I don't even think God wants to listen to me. Friend, can I just tell you, the time to go to church is when you least feel like it. The time to draw near to God is when you feel like you're least qualified. I mean, think about David. David had just exercised negligent leadership. David was responsible ultimately for all these men. He's responsible for all this mess. He had not left adequate supervision or protection over the city where his wives and his children were remaining. And now their houses were burnt to the ground. Their wives and their children were taken captive. This was not great leadership, but David did not let that disqualify him. He did not let that stop him from drawing near to God. He drew near to God. He went to get a word from God. And as you draw near to God, God will speak to you. You may say, well, I'm not going to hear God. I'm not hearing God. I've never heard God. Well, why don't you just go back to what it was the last thing that God said to you? You know, Peter, Jesus told Peter that before the rooster crows twice, you're going to have denied me three times, Peter. 
This is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas. This is the night where they're going to lose Jesus. This is the night where Jesus is going to be taken away captive, and the next time they see him, he'll be hanging on a cross, crucified. This is kind of like a last stand moment. And Peter goes out on that last stand, denying Jesus three times. But Jesus gave him a word. He says, but Peter, I have prayed for you that your strength would not fail. When you've turned back, when you've come back, strengthen your brothers. That's what he said to him. That's the word that God gave him before he betrayed him. He says, when you've turned back, go back and strengthen your brothers. See, God will always speak to you in the light what you need in a season of darkness. I'm going to say that again. God will always speak to you in a season of light what you'll need in a season of darkness. You may say, hey, man, my life is good. You know what? Business is good. My marriage is good. My family's good. I don't need to go to church. This really hasn't affected me. Friend, let me encourage you. You need to go to church because you'll hear a word in the light that you may need in a season of darkness. So come on, draw near to God. Draw near to God. There's power in God's word. I can't tell you how many times in my own life that I've faced crisis, I've faced difficulty, and I got a word from God. And the word that God spoke to me helped me so much to get up, to get over, to get on, and pursue the purpose that God had for me. He helped me go and turn the darkness into light, to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. That's what God wants to do with you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's what the Bible says. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So the first thing David did was seek the Lord. He sought him, and then he strengthened himself in a solution-filled Savior. The second thing that God said to David after that was pursue. He said pursue. Go ahead, put it in the comments. Pursue, for you shall fully recover all. All. That's incredible. Go go ahead. Put it in the comments. Pursue, pursue, pursue. Can I just talk to some of you who maybe been around church for a while? Sadly, there's a really bad teaching that you might have heard. If it's God, this is the teaching. If it's God, it requires zero interaction, engagement, or involvement for you. If it's God, it's going to happen. That's what the, the, the theology is. Some people say, if it's God, it requires zero interaction, participation of you. But nothing could be further from the truth. God didn't say to David, David, you sit down, put your feet up. I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. I'm going to bring back everything to you. You just watch, and I'm going to bring it all back so I can get all the glory. That's not what God said. God said to David, pursue. Come on, pursue. In other words, pick up your sword, pick up your bow, stand to your feet, rally your men, cross the brook Bezer, chase down the enemy. You need to pursue. A word from God requires work and action from you and I for that word to come to pass. I'll say it again. A word from God requires work from you. A word from God requires work from you. He'll speak a word, and if I'm willing to work, then I'll see that word come to pass. He'll speak a word, and if I'm willing to work, then I'll see that word come to pass. God's word is always pursue. 
It's always bounce back. It's always get up again. It's always activity. His word says, though a man might fall seven times, a righteous man, he gets back up again. It's always go after the enemy. Ecclesiastes 5.3 says, for a dream comes to pass. A vision is accomplished through much activity. Not through watching God work, through much activity, co-laboring with God. Some translations say, with much work, a dream comes to pass. Christianity is not a passive religion. If it was a passive religion, Paul wouldn't write to us saying, hey, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. Paul is telling you that Christianity is not passive. It is aggressive. That it's not a fashion statement. That it's not. A, it's actually warfare that we're engaged in. He didn't say put on a beanie, put on your slippers, kick up your feet, and sit on the sofa. He said dress yourself for engagement with the enemy. Dress yourself for success. You'll always notice in Ephesians 6 that the armor has no backing on it. It has no back to it because you are never meant to be in retreat as a believer. You're never meant to be running from your enemy, but also, but rather engaging your enemy, always running after your enemy. You're meant to be taking ground in this world. Pursue, pursue, pursue. You are called and created to keep moving forward. So for some of you, the word of the Lord today is pursue. Pursue his promises. That's point number two. Pursue his promises. Wait on God. Get a word from God. Once you get that word, work that word. Put it into action. Put it into action. Number three. Now this is a big one and our final point today. You need to feed what is foreign in your field. Go ahead. Put it in the comments. Feed what is foreign in your field. You say, what? What kind of? I mean, what? Dumb? What's the dumbest? That's the weirdest? What are you talking about? Feed what's foreign? Let me explain. The Bible says that they cross the brook. They come and they find an Egyptian. An Egyptian. I want you to think about that. David's men, all these Jewish boys, they find an Egyptian. Remember that they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Their ancestors were not really fond of Egyptians. God delivered them from Egypt. But here they find an Egyptian slave, whew, abandoned, in a field who's already about to die. He was sick. He was so sick that Amalek neglected him. That's his master just left him there to die. Amalek in the scripture is a symbol of our flesh. Amalek is a symbol of our sinful nature. It's interesting. The sinful nature that we all have discards things that are inconvenient. Whatever's inconvenience, we don't like to do it. The flesh thrives on immediate gratification and convenience. Whatever you neglect, dies. And that's what Amalek was doing. Whatever you neglect, whatever you leave alone, it will die. If you have a car, you neglect to get it serviced. If you neglect to change the oil, you'll find that that car will break down. In your marriage, if you neglect your spouse, you never have conversations, you never really know each other, you're going to find that you're losing your spouse. Whatever you neglect, you're going to find loss. If you have a garden, you neglect to water it. You neglect to weed it. You're going to find that garden is going to start to break down. It's the same thing with our life, the flesh. Whatever is inconvenient to our flesh, whatever costs me something, I'm just going to abdicate naturally. That's what the flesh represents. That's what Amalek represents, the flesh. Our natural tendency is to just neglect things and let them die. 
Friend, there's a price to everything you neglect. Well, the Amalekites, they discard this Egyptian. But when David finds the Egyptian foreigner in the field, David feeds what is foreign in his field. The feeding of that Egyptian gave them the exact location of the enemy. So they would not just plunder the enemy and recover all, but they recover all with some interest. They recovered all with some spoil. They recovered all pressed down, shaken together, and running over. you got to feed what is foreign in your field. Your flesh says, I don't have to feed it, just let it die. But your spirit man says, i got to feed what doesn't feel natural in my field. You may say, I don't even understand what that means. Well, let me explain it to you. When the shutdown hit and we were no longer to meet in any of our locations, we're no longer able to meet here in, in person at the church, we had to go to online church. And being online was in our field, but it was foreign to me. I never sought to be an online person. I never thought I'd be interacting with cameras instead of people. I never sought to be an internet star. So we kind of just tolerated it. We never really invested in it. But as soon as the door closed for us to meet and gather on a Sunday physically, I had to learn to feed what was foreign in my field. Almost every business that I know had to learn to feed what was foreign in their field. They had to regroup. They had to reroute. They had to redirect so they could figure out how to feed what was foreign in their field. Do you know that, that by definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over expecting a different result? But if that door is shut, go to a different door. Open up a different door. There's an old saying, if the horse is dead, dismount. We don't ride a dead horse. God's got something new for you. I remember reading the story of Henry Ford, where in 1904, Henry Ford did a survey and he asked what people wanted. What was their vision for future transportation? What are people looking for? And the number one answer was faster horses. Everybody wanted a faster horse. They couldn't get out of an old paradigm. They were stuck in that rut. They were stuck in a dead-end street. They had no idea what he was talking about when he started visioning and starting the fuel-injected engine. That the automobile was going to be the thing that automatically transported people with an engine. Something that would drive automatically was already on the cusp of being invented. And all they could think of, all they could see, were faster horses. Noah Glass, Jack Dorsey, and Florian Webb had a company called Odeo. They were looking to put on a podcasting platform, and they were trying to create something where everybody could go listen to podcasts. When they discovered that Apple iTunes was also doing the same exact thing, and Apple had millions and millions of dollars that they were deploying into the research and the development of podcasts. So unfortunately, these three guys thought, we might as well scrap all these years of development and investment. The podcasting platform is not going to work for us. So instead, they invented a way that you could send a text message. And all your friends could read your text messages, 140 characters or less. Well, that platform today is known as Twitter. Twitter now has 350 million tweets going out every single day. It became a multi-billion dollar corporation. But it was started because they were looking to do a podcasting platform. They realized they couldn't compete with the giant of iTunes. And so that door had shut. But what did they do? What did they do? They had a foreign idea. Just a concept that was in their field, within their grasp. And so they fed what was foreign in their field. Maybe growing up, you never heard your parents say, I love you. 
I'm proud of you. Great job, son. Great job, honey. You did good. You're a champion. Maybe you never had an engaged father, but you need to realize if you want to be a good father, you have to learn to feed what is foreign in your field. It might not be known. You might feel uncomfortable, but you need to learn how to feed what is foreign in your field because those kids are in your field and you don't know what it feels like, but it's foreign, it's uncomfortable, but start to feed it anyways. If you don't brush your teeth, guess what? You're going to lose your teeth. Whatever you neglect, you're going to lose. You have to learn to feed what's foreign in your field. Well, you don't understand. I wasn't brought up with that kind of thing. It was never shown in my home. You need to feed what is foreign in your field, unless you want to repeat the same mistakes that all your forefathers have made. Let me give you some clarity. One more, one more thought on this feed your foreign. Ben Silverman. Ben Silverman worked at Google, but was very frustrated. He was frustrated because he kept bringing up ideas, and they kept shutting these ideas down. No, we don't want to do that. No, we're not interested in that. And one day, he's kind of complaining to his girlfriend, and she had had enough. She was done. She was done with hearing his whining and complaining, being a victim of terrible Google. So she says, why don't, instead of spending your time whining, complaining as a victim, why don't you take on one of your ideas and do something with it? Why don't you move forward, pursue it? So he felt like that's kind of a kick in the pants, right? It's kind of a a, a push in the right direction. So that's exactly what he did. He took the ideas that he had and he began to work it. He took the ideas he had, he began to work them. And he created a platform that shared photos, pinned photos that you and I today call Pinterest. And that was born in 2010. Today, it's one of the largest, most influential photo organizing sharing websites in the whole world, largely because of his ability to pin photos or create pin boards, organizing them to topics and themes. People all over the world are using this platform. He fed what was foreign in his field. For you, you may have never seen your parents model forgiveness, saying, I forgive you. Forgiveness may be foreign. But it's what's going to save your marriage. Why don't you start with, I forgive you. Why don't you start practicing something that feels foreign to you, but actually might be the solution to the problems in your field. Go ahead. Feed what's foreign in my field. Write it down. Feed what's foreign in my field. What is it? What is it that's foreign, but already in your field? What is it that's in your field? It's within your grasp, but it's foreign to you. You didn't grow up with it. You never saw it modeled. Maybe you're saying, man, I've got a heart disease. I've got diabetes, right? I'm struggling with my weight. Well, maybe you grew up in a home where bad dietary, bad food, bad eating, bad exercise was normal. Friend, make a decision. This is a restart season. You can recover all with spoil and with interest. But you got to learn to feed what's foreign in your field. Do something that you never saw done in your home in your home. Foreign means you didn't grow up with it. It was Egyptian. It was outside of your realm of, re- of reality, right? It didn't grow up with David. Egyptians didn't grow up with David. Believe me. They had no love. They had no adoration. They had no admiration for Egyptians. It did not grow up with David. But when David fed what was foreign in his field, it led to victory over the enemy. It led to plunder. It led to the promises of God being made manifest in his life. Hey, friend, I'd love to pray with you today. Listen, the most important thing you can do with your life is surrender it to Jesus. Maybe nobody's ever shown you that or done that with you. Maybe you used to do that, but you neglected relating to Jesus. I want to tell you, today, you are just 
right for Jesus. You don't have to get everything right before you can come to him. Come to him as you are. He will receive you. He will accept you. The greatest thing that I ever did in my life was the day I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. When he became the leader and the Lord of my life. If that's you today, if you're saying, hey, I want to respond. I want to give my life to Christ. I want God to come into my heart. Friend, I want you to do something right now on your phone. I want you to text one word. I say yes, one word to 94090. One word, I say yes to 94090. I'm telling you, God will step into your world. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He'll come into your life and everything will be different. Let me pray for you today. Wherever you're at, I want you to know the word of the Lord for you today is God is a God of recovery. He's saying recover all. Come on, I can help you recover all. He recovers more than enough. Whatever you've lost, you're going to get back with interest. Father, I thank you for every person watching today. Those who are responding to Jesus, Father, let them experience the love, the power, the joy of being born again today, becoming a new creation. I declare your sins are forgiven. I declare chains of dysfunction and destruction are broken in Jesus' name. Addiction is being broken off of your life right now. I declare freedom flowing over your reality. Father, those who have lost heart and those who have lost hope, that both heart, I pray, both heart and hope come back to them today. I'm telling you, people of hope, pursue. You will surely recover all. Feed something that is foreign in your field. Feed it and you watch what God will do on the other side. Father, I ask that you'd bless these people, these people of yours, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, let it be so. Well, thank you for being with us today. I'm so excited about all the things that God is doing throughout this crisis. He is not absent. He is not dead. He is not sleepy. He is still for you. He is still with you. I encourage you, lean into him, draw near to him, and he will give you a word that changes your life. Hey everybody, thanks for being a part. My name is Nate, and if you like what you just heard, make sure you don't miss anything from Hope Church. Subscribe and follow NY Hope Church on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope that the content you hear here is not just sensational, but also a substantial part of your growth. You're amazing, and you belong here.